Hey everyone, it's JC. Um, we are on, let's see, episode 15 of season five. How are you doing? <laughs> are you taking your time? Are you really trying to personalize this and kind of doing the hard work? We've we've talked about some deep, deep stuff in the last couple of episodes. I always get concerned, like, stay with me, stay with me. I know it's hard. Confession. We're talking about forsaking sin, giving up some hard stuff, making some real changes to come to know Christ. But, oh my heavens, let's not lose sight of the prize of where we're going because we're just lost in the depth of the journey. Let's remember we are seeking to be made alive in Christ. We are truly um, after the greatest gift that he's come to offer. Why be disciples of Christ and believers in Christ if we're not going to dive in and take advantage of the real reason he gave his life for us. Yes, it's a it's a challenging journey. But oh man, guys, let's let's keep going. Let's keep going. Today, um, let me start with a quote. It is from author and philosopher Adam Miller. In his book, An Early Resurrection, Life in Christ Before You Die. Isn't that a cool title? <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. Eternal life in Christ. Getting it now. Having it now in us. As he is in us. But listen to this quote. He says, life in Christ has a certain feel. It's not just an idea. It doesn't just change how I think. Life in Christ goes deeper than this. It's in my body my heart, my lungs, my muscles, and blood and bones. It glows like a burning coal in my belly. Life in Christ feels like being alive. It feels in all its ordinary sensitivity, difficulty, and complexity like what being alive feels like. Does that just, oh, it just makes me tingle. I'm like, oh, that is what we're looking for. It, it isn't just an idea. Life in Christ glows like a burning coal in my belly, he said. It's what being alive feels like. So if you've struggled a bit in the last couple of episodes, let's just capture that and hold it close. That's what we're after. That's what we're after is coming to know him and being so filled with his life and love that we just can't even find words to describe it. Okay, so what we're going to do as we begin to really just look at the big picture again of all of this, kind of tie it together a bit, as we're continuing to confess and forsake our old ways and turn in love to our Savior. Let's look at a verse from Matthew 10, verse 39. This is repeated in Matthew 16, in Mark 8, in Luke 9, in Luke 17. He said this again and again and again, and you're going to recognize it because we hear it quoted a lot. Christ said, he who seeketh to save his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now we, we hear that talk taught a lot in terms of service, you know, just lose your life for Christ, just serve and give and go out and be busy and, and do all this stuff for his kingdom. And But here's the crazy thing about this verse. He, he who seeks to save his life shall lose it, and he who loses his life shall find it. 
you look up the word life in the Greek. Now, in the Greek, in the New, Tra- New Testament, there are two main Greek words that can be translated life. That's the word. One is zoe. That is one of the Greek words in it. It just refers to like our general spiritual or physical life. But if you look at all those references that I just listed, not just Matthew 10, 39, but all the other ones, you look up everywhere he says that phrase. He never uses the Greek word Zoe. He's not just talking about your general life, general spiritual, physical life. Offer it to me. He is saying something very specific. Every single time he chose the Greek word psyche. And you, I bet you can tell by the word what that means. It's your inner man, your soul, your heart. It's even translated sometimes as the breath of life, your mind, your spirit, your inner self. He used psyche, not Zoe. He's saying, whoso seeketh to save his inner man, you just keep trying to cover it with all these fig leaves and just keep trying to run into hiding to save your emotional and mental health and, and, and run to all these other things. It's not going to give it. You're going to lose it. It's going to stay empty and barren and dry. And, but if you bring it to me, you give it to me, you'll find it. Give me your psyche. Give me your inner man. All of it. All of it. And I just need to say right from the start of this episode, well, I guess we're five minutes in, but as I truly began, that began to sink um, in, in my mind. He was asking for my whole inner self, my whole heart laid at his feet to be healed and transformed. And yes, I wanted that. I wanted to come to know him desperately. I wanted his eternal life. I wanted to be brought back from spiritual death. But here's the problem. Like, I got it. I got what he was asking for. But part of me really, really struggled with this process. I just have to be real with you guys. Like, as we come through all this about confession and forsaking and turning to him alone and giving up all these other things, part of me hardcore struggled. Um, I knew what I should do. I knew what I was supposed to do. But my hands were clinging pretty tightly to a lot of my favorite things. Like I I knew what my escapes were and my hiding places were, but they felt really good. They were really comfortable. They made me feel really secure, brought me even pleasure. I mean, I loved living in them. That's why I'd run to them. They made me forget. They lifted me up on hard days. Like they had had, there was um, some benefits from turning to those lovers, kind of like Gomer. When she kept saying, I hate those lovers give me all these rewards. And there were rewards from, from the way the coping mechanisms that I'd chosen. And so as I began to continue to have him invite me to lay those things down, unstitch my fig leaves, come out of hiding, offer him my whole inner soul, like this verse just said. I struggled. I didn't want to. And what I realized was it wasn't that I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. Like, (laughs) does that make sense? It was my desires. My desires were still attached. It wasn't just the behavior that was a problem. My heart was clinging to these things. And I, part of me didn't want to let go. In fact, if you study the story of Jose and Gomer a little deeper, and I'll let you um, find this. I can't remember what verse it is, but you can find it. 
There's one verse in that um, book that talks about having a divided heart. Sorry, I forgot to look it up. A divided heart. That's exactly how I felt at this point in my journey. I wanted eternal life. I wanted to know him. I wanted all that he had to offer, but my heart was so attached. My food, my binge watching. I mean, it could be a lot of things, right? My shopping, my this, my that, my self-esteem, like all the different things I use to build up and feel comfortable. And I mean, we're all going to have a different list, but it's not like you just threw them all away and just ran to him with abandon. I, I didn't. Like, I, I kind of, it's like stepping a little toe in the water. Like, um, okay, I don't know about this. I mean, we've just talked about confessing it. And you can confess these things all day. But then just sit there and go, yeah, but uh, I don't know. And we can even know, like we talked about in the last episode, that his grace is sufficient, that he can empower us to let go. But the biggest thing was understanding for me that my desires were the biggest issue. I I just felt attached and I didn't know how to, almost like addicted. Is that a weird word to use? Like I, I knew I needed to, but it reminds me of a stupid little story from high school. I, uh, you know, I, I was raised... Um, with lots of good leaders that taught me how to choose well when I was dating, like choose, choose to date people with high standards that would not lead you into temptation. And I heard so many church lessons and messages on that. And I remember as I started my junior year, I was like, well, duh, of course, you know, of course I'd find people like that to date. I don't want to date somebody that doesn't have my same standards. That's a no brainer. But that year, it's kind of long story short, I kind of got to know this guy. Um, We ended up just near each other a lot and getting to know each other. And all of a sudden, like he was just unbelievably awesome. Like we hit it off. He just made me laugh and he was so much fun. But I didn't know that much about him. I was just getting to know him at school and, and I got super attached. I just adored this kid. And then we started dating out of outside of school. I'd never really hung out with him outside of school. And all of a sudden it hit me like a freight train. He, he lived a very different life outside of school than I did. I mean, I won't go into the details, but I'll, it came, it became clear to me very quickly that if I wanted to maintain my standards and not go into some very dark places, like I couldn't keep dating this kid as much as I liked him. It just wasn't going to work. The pull was too strong. But here's the thing. It was like, just like what we're talking about. I knew I needed to let go. I knew that was what I should do, but my heart was attached. It had been several months and I was attached. I was in love. Like I, and so my heart like fought me. It's that divided heart concept. I knew what I should do. I knew what I even part of me wanted to do, but the other part of me hardcore did not want to do it. And there was a big battle. I mean, I, I, again, I had to pray for help. It wasn't just to stop dating this kid. It was to stop wanting to date this kid. (laughs) Cause even when I broke up with him, I was like, I still, mm, I still have feelings and he knew it. And it was just really tough. So that's where we're at. Maybe you're not, maybe you're just ready to throw off all of your baggage and just run to the Lord run to his feet. I hope so. I hope you're not struggling with it like I did. But if you are, let me just share a little bit about 
my story and what that looked like. I was at this point of my own personal journey, and this was years ago, at least I was motivated enough from the emptiness and the the unfulfillment of <laughs> my coping mechanisms. They were good, but they really weren't filling me. And I knew I needed help and I knew I wanted more. So that was enough for me to, I just really began to cry out like we were talking about in the last couple episodes, to just cry out, to just, you know, um, not just pray, but plead, not just for the ability to stop doing certain things, but for him to change my desires, to help me want to let go, to help me want to have the courage to leave some of those comfort zones behind. I mean, just my sugar addiction was one example. It was my bliss. It was my happy place. Chocolate had been my thing for decades. And imagining life without it was like the most empty, um, barren, dry. I, I just thought, oh, my joy's going to be taken away if you take away my happy things. See, and the worst part is that as I fought this internal battle, Satan kind of jumped in too and went, yeah, yeah, you don't want to give that up. You don't want to give these things up. You won't be, you can't be happy without them. They're your escapes. They're your, they're your bliss. They're your, you know, your things that help you survive. You can't do that life without them. And you don't need to. Why do you need to? Why would the Lord even ask that of you? See that mental battle? I don't know if you're going through this, but I had to do an episode just in case you are. That was tough. And so again, praying, 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 like just help me know where to start. Um, and so I really kind of just felt that empowering grace like we talked about last episode and just start felt it start to fill me. And I thought, okay, I'm starting with one thing. <laughs> don't get overwhelmed and try to throw it all out at once. I was just like, all right, what's my, my biggest escape, my most addictive escape. And I just kind of just pled for his help and said, all right, I set it down and I turned my back on that thing and walked away. I went, okay, I'm done. I'm done with that. I'll just leave it generic because then you can substitute yours. <laughs> and, and guys, this is the thing I realized at first, it did feel very dry and barren. Like I was putting away something that had been a great comfort to me in my fallenness. And at the first few steps away from that, the emptiness that I'd been trying to fill by running to that thing did like there it was. There I was in my emptiness and in, in my vulnerability. It's like Adam and Eve coming out of their hiding places in that nakedness and having to just stand before God like it. The, there is kind of this um, struggle at first as we leave behind the things that have been such escapes to us and such therapy, as limited and um, temporary as they were. Um, it reminded me of a verse in Hosea. We're, we keep going back to that story, but I mean, that's us, right? Hosea chapter 2, the Lord says, this is verse 13 and 14. He's talking about Gomer and he says, I will visit upon her the days of Baalim, wherein she burned incense to them and decked herself with earrings and jewels and went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. So he's talking about how he's going to win her back from those other lovers. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. I'm going to allure her, draw her into the wilderness, he says, wilderness, and begin speaking with her and drawing her back to me. 
Um, I related with that because that's that wilderness concept, like the desert. That's what it felt like as I first began to give up some things I'd been leaning on so hard and, and try to forsake them and turn to Christ alone. It did feel like a wilderness. It did feel kind of dry and barren at first because I didn't yet know how to be filled with his filling, but I, yet I didn't have the old thing. So I was kind of stuck in this middle place, this desert, this wilderness, kind of dry, barren place. But as I began to study in scripture, you think about the concept of the desert or the wilderness. It's all over the scriptures. Moses, David, Abraham, Elijah, John the Baptist, they all spent time in the wilderness, just time away that was very transformative. Um, for heaven's sakes, Jesus himself, after his baptism, was drawn into the wilderness for 40 days where he just, he communed with God, but he also battled it out with Satan. He had this wilderness experience. Um, or even maybe you've already thought of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. You realize it was only a two week, couple week journey from Egypt to Canaan. <laughs> but they, they ended up in the wilderness for like 40 years. There was something about, I mean, Jehovah could have taken them straight into Canaan, but they weren't, there was a something to be learned in this desert experience. Basically learning to trust him because the promised land was a place of trust and faith and they needed to learn how to live like that. And so for us, if we begin this process and really begin to leave behind some things and seek Christ with all our heart, if it feels a little barren, you're not alone. If it feels a little dry at first, you're not alone. He drew Gomer. He was going to draw Gomer into the wilderness. So many of his disciples spend time separated, kind of in this stark emotional place that's devoid of anything but him. And so there we are with him, not quite sure how to proceed, but knowing that somehow this experience was most meant to change us. Listen to this quote from Dr. Gerald May in his book, Addiction and Grace. He talks specifically about the desert. And to me, this, this ties it all. This gives meaning to, to the struggle that all of us may be feeling at this point in the process. He says, the desert is where the battle with attachment takes place. The saga of the desert tells of a journey out of slavery through the desert toward the garden that is home. But it is much more than a journey. It is the discovery of the depths of weakness, the power of grace, and the price of both. Moreover, what takes place in the desert is not simple, simply difficult travel and adventurous learning. It is repentance and conversion. The transformation of mixed motivations into purified desire. The greeting of desert into garden through the living water of grace. There is no geographic journey here. It all takes place within our hearts. And what happens is not only purgation and purification. Listen to this. It's also a loving courtship, a homemaking between the human soul and its creator. I, to me, that idea transforms the desert. At first, it feels like almost like he's abandoning us. He's inviting us to leave our other lovers like Gomer, come into the wilderness. And at first, it's so stark and so dry. We're like, wait, what? 
This was supposed to be lush and wonderful. But there's, like, like Dr. May said in his quote, this is a journey out of slavery through the desert toward the garden that is home. It's a battle with attachment. It's the uh, looking at the depths of our weakness and how deeply we're attached to these other things. And it's a process where we have just separated ourselves from those things. We've let the Lord allure us and bring us into the desert, like he said in Hosea, to begin completely reworking our hearts. It's repentance and conversion, he said. The transformation of mixed motivations into purified desire. This is something that takes place, he says, within our hearts. But it's also a courtship. We can't come to know him unless we break from the old. And yes, there's going to be a little bit of loss. And he was okay with me mourning that. I felt so much loss because I did not yet have the connection with him that truly filled me to overflowing. But I was leaving the old. I was leaving the old behind. And so there was a little bit of transition, of transition. But here's what began to happen. The farther I began to move out of hiding and the closer I began to come to him and the farther I began to move from my old loves and the closer I began to move to this new love to focus my life on him. Guys, something began to happen to me. That little flame just started to flicker inside my heart. Suddenly it just came to life and started to burn. And what I began to notice, all of a sudden there it was. Just this this inner flame, this inner lamp, this inner heart light just began to really dance inside me. Suddenly the desert, after I just continued to battle it out and just pray for the ability to continue to move toward him and away from those other things and to draw to him alone, suddenly my heart just started to come back to life. And and the craziest part is I noticed, because in these early days, there was, there was heavy temptation to run back to those comfort zones because the desert's scary and it would feel really dry some days. And I would really turn around and look back and want to run back to those things. But what's crazy is I learned really quickly, if I turned back to my comforts, that little inner flame would start to dim. That deadness would start to fill me again. And if I ran back to it, if I just had a day where I went back and binged on that old thing, whatever it was, I had lots of different things I would binge on. If I just couldn't take it anymore and I'd run back and binge, the flame would go out. And I had enough of this back and forth that I started to go, I want this. And I began to turn and run in his direction um, with all my heart because suddenly there was this overwhelming new beautiful feeling inside of me that began to fill me and sustain me in a way no coping mechanism no fig leaf no escape had ever filled me that flame just started to burn in my heart and pretty soon I was hooked on that and and it began to grow and grow. We're going to talk in the next episode about this process. But I had to give you this little moment. If you were going through the desert a bit at this point in our season and you were thinking, JC, I don't know about all of this. I don't know. 
this is tough and I'm not so sure that I want to continue this. You're, you're right there. You're right at that point where everything starts to change. This, this quote I'll end with. This comes from um, a, a leader I've quoted many times before, Enzio Busha, in his message, Truth is the Issue. He's talking about coming to Christ in brokenness. And he talks about being, quote, he says, led to that lonesome place where we suddenly see ourselves naked in all soberness. Gone are all the little lies of self-defense. We see ourselves in our vanities and false hopes for carnal security. We're shocked to see our many deficiencies, our lack of gratitude for the strong, smallest things. Listen, listen, listen. This is what he, how he ends. We are now at <clears throat> that sacred place that seemingly only have a few, excuse me. We are now at that sacred place that seemingly only a few have courage to enter. Because this is that horrible place of unquenchable pain and fire and burning. I mean, guys, confession, sin, all of that, it's tough. But he says, this is the place where true repentance is born. This is the place where conversion and the rebirth of the soul are happening. This is the place where sanctifications and rededications are happening. This is the place where suddenly the atonement of Christ is understood and embraced. Let him lead you into the desert, call you, allure you, bring you into that place where it's just you and him. And he's going to burn away all the old and light a fire in you deep in your heart that's going to blaze like nothing you've ever experienced. Oh my gosh, you guys, I want to just go for 30 more minutes, but I'll leave you with that to chew on. And we'll start right there, right at that very part in our next episode.